Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. I'm one of the pastors here. We are so honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you with us today. And also want to welcome in all of those worshiping with us in Prescott Valley. So grateful to have you as well. Well, today we are kicking off a new series today that we're calling Off the Flannel Graph. Now, For those of you who are over 40, you probably, if you grew up in church and you're over 40, you probably got to experience the greatness of the flannel graph. Long before there were computers or DVDs or VHS tapes or PowerPoint or even the projectors, right? Remember the slides on the projectors? Long before any of those things existed, there was a church basement that had an easel and a box of flannel characters. And for many of us sitting in the room today, this was our first interaction with some of these great stories of the Bible. Some nice lady, and it was always some lady who would pull out a children's Bible and she'd read the story in nice docile tones. Because there was never any men in children's ministry. It was always some lady. And no, there was a boat. And God put a door on the boat. And there was little animals that jumped up the boat. Like this one with two monkeys riding llamas up the boat. (laughs) And then it rained really hard on the boat. And then God saved everybody. And there was a rainbow. Yay! Right? And everybody, that's the way we learned these stories. Like, this was it. This was, now, if you're sitting out there today and you're thinking, I have no idea what he's talking about. One of two things is probably true. One, you're really young, so congratulations. (laughs) Or two, you were in a technologically advanced church, all right? Neither of which that I had, right? But if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you're like legit, you're probably better off because what happened for many of us is hearing these stories like this, it actually turned scripture into children's stories. And that's not a good thing. For many of us, when we think of our favorite stories from the Bible, like David and Goliath or Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego or Jonah and the world, this is the version that we think of. Like these flannel graph pictures of the scriptures. And in doing so, 
we inadvertently miss, or I wonder if sometimes we don't intentionally dismiss the value that these stories have for our life as adults today. And so over the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take some of these stories that we're so familiar with that many of us learned on the flannel graph, and we're going to take them off the flannel graph. We're going to take them off the flannel graph and see what God's word has for us, the truth that they have to tell us as adults today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Genesis chapter 6. Today we're going to begin with the story of Noah and the ark. That's where we're going to begin today. I think this is a good place to start because of all of the stories in Scripture, I think this story has most become a children's story. So much so that you can go on Amazon today and you can find every version of Noah Ark themed decor for your children's rooms. Like you can find anything you want for a child's nursery themed out in Noah's in the, Noah and the Ark. I mean, you just go Google it today. There'll be blankets and pillows and stuffies and things to hang on the wall and the mobile, like anything you want. There's all kind of stencils that you can go buy. There's like whole mural. You can get a ark boat for your baby. Like you can put your baby on the ark, like for your nursery, like anything you want. And they're so cute and all the animals are smiling and there's always the rainbow. And this is just amazing. It's, it's like the perfect kids' bedroom stuff, right? You can get blankets and sheets and pillows and dressers and carpets and fans and wallpaper and light switches. Anything you want for a kid's room, you can find Noah Ark themed. And it's so cute, right? I mean, wouldn't want that. It's got rainbows and fuzzy animals. And for many of us, this is kind of what the story has become. It's God's desire to save the animals. We've turned God into Diego the animal rescuer. <laughs> Threw that in there for you millennials, right? And we even got a song, right? We learned a song. And the Lord said to Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody Get those animals out of the muddy, muddy. <laughs> Children of the Lord. And he did. And they all lived happily ever after, right? Okay. But that's the flannel graph version of the story. Because as you read through the actual story in Scripture, what you'll quickly find is this is not a children's story. And it certainly isn't a story where everybody lives happily ever after. So we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I've made them. I never remember seeing this printed on a coffee cup. 
This isn't a story about a happy God saving his animals from the rain. This is a story of a broken-hearted God who looks at all that he has created with regret, with great remorse. Again, look at, look at verse 6 or verse 5. It says, the Lord saw. The Lord saw, and what did he see? He saw how great the wickedness of the human heart had become. This is Genesis chapter 6. We are five chapters and ten generations removed from Genesis 1, where it says, and the Lord saw that it was good, and he saw that it was good, and he saw that it was very good. Five chapters later, he saw that the whole human race is nothing but wicked all the time, and he has nothing but regret. And don't miss this, not regret because of what they had done. He has great regret because of what he had done in that he created them to begin with. He was overcome with remorse because he created human beings. Essentially, in this text, what we have is the low point in the life of an eternal being. His heart is troubled. He's filled with remorse. And that remorse quickly turns to wrath. He regrets that he has made human beings. And so he says, here's, here's what I'll do. I've decided that I'm going to fix this mistake by wiping, I'm wiping the human race from the earth and all of the creatures that have been contaminated by them. Again, this is not a shiny, happy children's story. This is the story of the wrath of God being poured out because of the wickedness of man. Still want to decorate your nursery with it? And honestly, if you, if you didn't know the rest of the story and you were just given the Bible like one page at a time, you might get to this page and think, oh, this is the end. Like this is how it ends. Like God created man in his image, made them image bearers to rule and reign in holiness on the planet that he created. But they chose selfishness and sin over the holiness of God. And all of earth has been corrupted by their sin. And now God decides I'm done with them and I will wipe the slate clean. The end. Like if you just... If you just were reading the story one page at a time, it's like, this could be the end. But everything changes with one three-little-letter word. But, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Everywhere that God looked, he saw evil. But then he saw Noah and and in Noah, God saw a chance at redemption. Verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. We have a chance at redemption because Noah was a righteous man. Because he was blameless. 
And he walked faithfully with God. In a world where there was, where, where everyone was corrupt, there was one who was blameless. In a world that was filled with violence, there was one who walked with God. In a world that was ruled by wickedness, there was one who was deemed righteous. And don't miss this last line. He walked faithfully with God. It wasn't that he just believed in God. It's that he had a relationship with God. He walked, he lived faithfully with God. It changed his life. And so, because of this, God gives this one righteous man some instructions. It's what we know of as the story of Noah and the ark. Now, the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and it was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth and to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are going to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And then maybe the most important line in the whole story Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Every time I read that verse, I always, I always ask myself, if I were to replace my name with Noah's name, would the verse still be true? Could it be said that Jason does everything just as the Lord commanded him? Could we replace it with your name and it still be true? Does obedience to God, following his instructions... Does it matter to you? Is it important to you? That, that you would be willing to do what on its face seems absurd. I mean, this whole thing, it just sounds absurd. Would you do it? That, that you'd be willing to do something that makes no sense to the people around you. That literally the people around you would mock you because of your obedience to the thing God has called you to do. Simply because God told you to do it. That, that you would do something that no person on the planet has ever done before simply because God told you to do that thing. Because the obedience to God matters to you that much. 
That's what Noah did. He did everything, everything, just as the Lord had commanded him. So he followed the blueprint to a T, which meant he built a boat. Your text uses the, uh, the measurement of cubits. My guess is you're not using cubits a lot in your life. A cubit is essentially from the tip of your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. On the average man, it's about 18 inches. So when it says cubit, it's so many cubits long, that's what it's talking about. Which means this boat that he's building is about 510 feet long. Roughly the size of a football field. Like it's, it's huge. It's 85 feet wide. It's 51 feet high. It, it had the storage capacity of about 570 railroad cars. It's a big boat. And he built it in preparation for a flood because God was going to rain down water from the sky. Which up until this point doesn't seem to have ever happened before. This is a new phenomenon. But it's going to happen. It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And again, to everyone around Noah, this must have seemed like an absolute absurdity that he's doing this, but he does it because God told him to. And when it's done, chapter 7 begins with God saying to Noah, it's time. It's time for you to get into the ark. You and your family and all the animals with you because in seven days, the rain's coming. Like seven days from now, the waters will come. So in chapter 7, verse 5, we hear again that Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. So for seven days, Noah packs the ark. He takes everything that his family's going to need to survive in the ark. All of the animals are ushered in and put into cages in the ark. All of the food that they're going to need to survive on the ark. Not for 40 days. No, no, no. 40 days is how long it rained. They're actually... On the ark, when you do the math, over a year. All that they're going to need to survive, all the animals are going to need to survive for a year is packed onto this ark over this seven-day period. And then after, at the end of that seventh day, the Lord shuts them in. That's what the text says. The Lord shuts them in and the rain begins. And we live in Arizona. We understand monsoons. We have, we've probably seen a deluge that just drops from the sky. I imagine that's what happened. But it lasted for 40 days and 40 nights. But that wasn't the end of it. The text says that the, the springs of the deep burst forth. And as Noah and his family are sitting there safely inside of the ark, just try to imagine the fear and the regret and the pandemonium that must have been taking place outside of the ark. As all of these people had watched Noah build this giant boat in the desert, and they all thought he was a fool, and now all of a sudden they realized they were the fools. And now imagine the water as it started to rise. 
Imagine all these people outside of the ark banging on the door, begging to get in. The screams and the cries and the banging. Because they, they didn't believe him when he told them what was coming, but they believe him now. And, and I wonder what was scarier for his family as they're listening to the banging on the side and the screaming and the tears. Or, or the silence when the screaming stops. When the yelling stops. And they begin to realize they're the only ones left. This is a horrible scene. Death on a scale that is unimaginable. That the world has never known. The bodies of every creature with breath in its lungs. Dead. Bodies floating on the surface of the water. Banging up against the side of the boat. The stench of death everywhere. Somehow that never made the flannel graph. Or the coloring books. Or the nursery scenes. For the next year, Noah and his family, along with all of these animals, they bob up and down on a rudderless boat at the mercy of the wind and the waves. Just waiting. Waiting. And nearly a year after he first stepped on the ark, Noah sends out a dove. But it flies back because there's nowhere to land. Sends it out again. And it comes back with an olive branch. He sends it out a third time and it never comes back. And then we read this. And God said to Noah, come out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and their wives bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. The birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. This was the command that God had given Adam and Eve at the beginning before sin entered the world. Go, multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. It's the same command that God gives Noah. It is God's reset button on the world. And shortly after this, God makes this promise. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come, which means it's for you and me too. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between, between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. And like all good children's stories. And they all lived happily ever after. Right? No, not right. Not right. Because this isn't a children's story. Because while the flood destroyed all of the wickedness in the world, it was powerless to destroy all of the wickedness in the human heart. 
In the very next scene, the wickedness of Noah and his family gets brought to the surface. And quickly after that, it, it begins to spread across the world once again. Because the flood was a temporary reprieve from wickedness. It wasn't a permanent fix. And the consequence of the wickedness of the human heart can be seen all throughout the rest of Scripture. You can see it every day in your newsfeed. You can see it in your toddler's rebellion. And if you're really perceptive, you can actually see it in the mirror. It was a temporary reprieve. It wasn't a permanent fix. That will only come when Jesus comes back. So what do we have to learn from the story of Noah and the ark? What's the point for us as Americans in 2022? What's the lesson of the flood for us? I've got three that I want to share with you, and they all come from the New Testament. You see, because we don't have to make up our own purposes for the story of the flood. The disciples of Jesus and Jesus himself give us the purposes for the flood. Like we can actually understand what we should be seeing when we look at this story. Like the scripture gives it to us in the New Testament. The story of Noah and the ark is referenced at least five times in the New Testament. And it's out of those references that I've pulled these three truths that I think we should use as a takeaway for this story. Here's the first one. God will pour out his wrath on the wicked again. Like, the thing that we should learn from the story of Noah and the ark is that God is going to pour out his wrath on the wicked again. Peter helps us to connect the dots. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So, Peter's looking forward to the day when there would be a world like ours that says, are you kidding me? There's no God. Jesus is coming back. It's been thousands of years. Where's this coming? Everything's the same. There's nothing new under the sun. Ever since our ancestors have died, everything's just going on and on and on like it always has been and it always will. Just keep going on and on and on. We start as dirt. We'll return to dirt. There's nothing different ever happening. But Peter says, but they deliberately Deliberately, not accidentally, they deliberately forget that the world does not go on and on like it always has. In fact, there was a time when there was nothing. And then God spoke. And then there was everything. Like, it hasn't just gone on and on forever. There was nothing, and then there was everything. And it happened because God spoke. But that's not all that has changed. By these waters where he created everything, by these waters, the world at that time was also deluged and destroyed. There's Noah's flood. God spoke and the waters came forth and destroyed. There was nothing, then there was everything, and then there was nothing again because he destroyed it all. And by the same word, 
from the mouth of God, the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Everything's not the same. There was once nothing, then there was everything, and then there was everything destroyed. And he says, and now the present heavens, the present earth, what we exist now, it's not going to be the same forever. It's being reserved, not for a flood, but for a fire. It's being kept by the word for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. The judgment that, that came with the flood is an example for us that the wrath of God that has once already come on the earth is coming again. In fact, Jesus said it this way. About the hour, about that hour, I'm sorry, about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus, looking forward to Judgment Day, when he returns, he says, it's just like it was in the days of Noah. So it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in to marriage up until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. The same judgment that God used in the days of Noah to destroy all the wickedness on the earth Jesus says, that's what's going to happen again when I come back. The wrath that was poured out in Noah's day will be poured out again when Jesus returns. The flood of Noah is proof that the wrath of God is real and it is coming. The second truth that we can learn from this is that God's going to pour out his wrath on the wicked again, but God is patient. What we can learn from the story of Noah is that God is patient, but not infinitely patient. Peter says this, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. God was patient. In the days of Noah. Like there was 120 years between the time where God said to Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth. And the time that the raindrops started to fall. It was 120 years. God was patient with those people. But he wasn't infinitely patient. And Peter reminds us that God is still being patient. He continues. This is 2 Peter chapter 3. By these waters, also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So it's being reserved, it's being kept, it's being held. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Let's understand slowness. They're wondering, where's this coming? Where's this coming? He's being slow. He forgot. No, no, no. None of that's true. Instead, he is patient with you, 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The reason he's delayed in his return is not because he's forgotten, not because he's not powerful, not because he's not coming. He's being patient. He's being patient so that everyone comes to repentance. That's his desire. He's patient, but not infinitely patient. Which brings us to the third point that I think we need to take away. He's going to pour out his wrath again. He's patient right now, but not infinitely. But God offers protection for us from his wrath. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Is that we do not have to just sit around patiently waiting to receive his wrath. Like he's provided a way out for us. Again, Peter addresses this. It says, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water, talking about Noah's flood. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. It's not the removal of dirt from the body, but it is the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter says, just as God provided a way for Noah to be saved through the water, which was the ark, God has also provided a way for us to be saved. He's provided us a way to be saved through that Water says, baptism that now saves you. It's not about this external thing that's getting washed off. That's not what happens. But it is about the pledge of a clear conscience that when we're baptized, it is our surrender, our pleading with God to do something in us that cleans us up from the inside out. It is a pledge, God, have me, save me, cleanse me. It's not about the dirt on the outside. It's about a conscience on the inside. It is about God taking us and putting us in Christ. Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who were baptized, if you were baptized, this is true for you. All of you who are baptized, you were baptized into Christ and have been clothed with Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. That we have been taken and put into Christ. We have been covered over, surrounded by, placed in Christ. As Noah was placed in the ark, we are placed in Jesus. Jesus is our ark that saves us from the very wrath of God. Jesus is the ark. And we are saved only in him from the wrath that is to come. The story of Noah and the flood, it isn't a children's story. It is a picture of the wrath of God poured out on the wicked. But it is also a picture of the patience of God. For everyone to come to repentance. And it is a picture of the grace of God for those who would heed the warning and follow instructions and jump into the lifeboat that is named Jesus. 
that he has provided for all who would be willing to walk by faith and not by sight. That's the story of Noah and the ark off the flannel graph. And if, you, if you've yet to come to a place where you have found yourself in Christ, heed the warning. The wrath of God is coming. And he is patient with you today. But his patience is not infinite. But he's provided a way out. And his name is Jesus. Lord, I pray today that you would do your work among us. Thank you for providing a way of redemption for us. Of providing an ark whose name is Jesus that we can find ourselves in. And be saved from the wrath that is to come. Father, open our hearts to receive that good news today. To respond in a way that honors you. And it's through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.